You see, God made a promise a long time ago, and he is keeping that promise. And so the real question is, do you believe that to be true? Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and thanks for joining me in The Fox Den. Today, I want to introduce you to the heroes in the Hall of Faith. Now, I actually use the term heroes lightly. And the reason why is they're not really heroes. You see, these were just ordinary people who had faith. Now, we tend to think that if they're in Hebrews chapter 11, then certainly they had great faith. But when we take a closer look, we see that they actually didn't have great faith. They just had faith in the right thing. It's not that they had the faith the size of a mountain. They simply believe that God made a promise and God's going to keep his promise. You see, that's really how simple the Christian life is. Now, I'm not saying the Christian life is easy. Don't misunderstand me. I am saying salvation is easy. As Paul and Silas said in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the Christian life may be difficult and you may struggle with sin. You may struggle with unbelief. But your salvation is not based on what you do. Your salvation is based on what God has done. You see, God made a promise a long time ago, and he is keeping that promise. And so the real question is, do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah that we see spoken of throughout the whole Old Testament? If you answer yes, then you are saved. Not because you answered yes, you answered yes because you're saved. And when we look at the people in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the key in all of this is that they believed God. They believed he was a promise maker and a promise keeper. In fact, if we go to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. You see, God took him outside, made a promise, and Abraham believed. You see, there was no obedience on Abraham's part. There was just faith. Verse 6 says that he believed God and God credited his faith as righteousness. Do you realize that Abraham was actually somewhat of a scoundrel? Probably not as much as his grandson Jacob, but Abraham shows great weakness. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham was afraid of Abimelech, so he lied about his wife Sarah and said that she was his sister. So Abimelech took her in to be his wife, and fortunately God stopped him before anything happened. But Abraham lied to save himself because he was afraid. Does this sound like a hero of the faith? And perhaps you may think that Abraham learned from his lesson that he shouldn't lie about his wife. But Genesis chapter 20 was the second time that Abraham lied about his wife. He did the same thing in Genesis chapter 12. Does this sound like a hero of the faith? No. You see, Abraham's no better than you and me. Now, he may be the father of the faith in the sense that God called him and blessed the nations through him, through his offspring, who is Jesus, many generations later. But Abraham is no different than you and me. He's no more of a hero than you or me. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham. And in verse 8, it says that he obeyed God and went to the place where he was to receive an inheritance. And in essence, he went blindly. He didn't know where he was going. But do you see what it says in verse 9? He went to live in the land of promise. And there at the end of verse 9, it mentions Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of the same promise. 
And then look at what verse 10 says. Abraham was looking forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. Do you know why Abraham obeyed? God made a promise, and he believed that promise. That promise, by the way, we find in Genesis chapter 12. And this is before Abraham lied about Sarah, his wife. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God calls Abram, that's his name, at this point. Later, God changed his name to Abraham. And he tells him to leave his country and go to the land that God is going to show him. And in verse 2, it says that God is going to make him a great nation. And that God is going to bless him, make his name great. And in verse 3, he's going to bless those who bless him. And he's going to curse those who dishonor him. So Abraham leaves his land and he goes to the land that God had called him. This is what Hebrews chapter 11 is referring to, this moment right here. So Abraham obeyed God because he believed God. He believed that God made a promise, and he believed that God was going to keep his promise. And do you realize Abraham died before he saw the fulfillment of this promise? I mean, sure, he went to the land of Canaan, But he died before the fulfillment of this promise. Now, don't misunderstand me here. God's keeping his promise to Abraham and to us. So it's not that Abraham didn't get his promise. He certainly did get his promise. But the fulfillment comes after Abraham's death. And look at what it says about Sarah, his wife, in verse 11. It says that she received power to conceive. And it's referring here to Isaac. And there at the end of verse 11, it says that she considered God faithful. But I want to take you to another moment. Take a look at Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to Abraham. And in verse 10, the Lord said that Sarah would have a son in the next year. And look at how Sarah responds in verse 12. She laughed. Do you think this is laughter of joy? It's laughter of unbelief. Look at what she says. She's worn out, and Abraham is old. Is she really going to have the the pleasure of, of childbearing? Does this sound like somebody of great faith? Does this sound like a hero of the faith? She laughs because the Lord said she was going to have a child, and she was old, and so was Abraham. You see, this unbelief. And yet, Hebrews chapter 11 lists her in the hall of faith. Because she had great faith? Of course not. She had sufficient faith. Now, let me back up for just a moment and go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And there it talks about Noah. And we see Noah in Genesis chapter 6 to Genesis chapter 9. And you may know the story, but I'm going to refresh your memory. The corruption in the world was bad. Now, keep in mind, I don't think it was any worse than it is today. Sin is sin, and corruption is bad. But at this point... God decides to wipe out the human race with the flood of water. Now, as a side note, you may not like that. You may not like the fact that God wiped out the entire human race with the flood of water. But you have to keep in mind, God is just, God is holy, God is righteous. Man is not. So anything that God does is good, right, and just. Now, you may think that I'm covering for God, but I'm not. He needs no cover. He needs no defense from me. God is sinless. Man is sinful. So if God decides to wipe out the entire human race with the flood of water, he's just to do so. Man is guilty. So we see that God decides to wipe out the human race with the flood of water, and he preserves mankind through Noah and his family. 
So he calls Noah to build a boat, and he's going to put animals on this to preserve life after the flood. And God sends rain and floods the entire earth, and all mankind perishes with the exception of Noah and his family. You see, this is what verse 7 in Hebrews chapter 11 is referring to. Noah, who was warned by God concerning the events that hadn't been seen yet, he constructed an ark or a boat that saved his household. Think about that. Why did Noah obey? Because he believed God. So he builds the boat, God sends the flood, and the entire human race is destroyed. Now again, you may think, well, that takes great faith to build a large boat, and it took him a long time. Think about how long it would take for us to build a ship with a massive crew building the ship. It took Noah a long time to build this boat, and certainly he was a laughingstock. But he was persistent, and he builds the boat, even when he has no sign that any rain is coming. But he finishes the work, the flood comes, and the human race is preserved through the line of Noah. Remember, only eight people survived the flood, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And that's it. But this is what I want you to see. Do you know why we struggle with sin today? We struggle with sin because of Adam. Remember back in Genesis 3 when Adam sinned in the garden? We get our nature from Adam. But wait a minute. How did we get our sin nature from Adam if God wiped out the entire human race with the exception of Noah and his family? You see, not only do we come from Adam, we all come from Noah, which means Adam's sin was transmitted through Noah, which means Noah was just as sinful as you and me. In fact, there's quite the disturbing episode in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 and following. So why is Noah in the hall of faith? Is he really a hero of the faith? No more than you and me. I mean, think about it. Noah built a boat when there was no sign that there was any danger coming. We go to church every Sunday to worship a God we can't see. Don't you think we're the laughing stock of the world? We pray to a God that we cannot see. Don't you think we're a laughing stock to the world? We believe that a man was crucified and rose from the dead. Don't you think we're a laughing stock to the world? You see, we have the same faith they did. It might be greater than them. It might be weaker than them. But we have the same faith. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It says that Abraham, when tested, offered up Isaac. You see, this is referring to Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, this is what you have to keep in mind. God made a promise to Abraham that he would have a son and that he would have many descendants. And again, just so you know, Abraham had one son, one legitimate son. That was Isaac. And now here in Genesis chapter 22, God is calling him to sacrifice Isaac, to kill him. And it says in verse 1 of Genesis 22 that God tested Abraham. And what you have to know here is that God wasn't testing to see if he had faith. He was proving that Abraham had faith because several chapters earlier, Genesis chapter 15, which I have already mentioned, God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. So he already knows he has faith. So here he is proving that he has faith. So Abraham takes Isaac to the land of Moriah to offer him there. 
And as he is about to plunge the knife into Isaac, God stops him and provides a ram as a sacrifice. Now, just as a side note here, the ram was merely a sacrifice in place of Isaac, but the ram was not the real sacrifice. Christ is the real sacrifice that would come many, many years later. You see, Abraham called that mountain, the Lord will provide, future tense, and he did that after God provided the ram. And several hundred years later, when Moses writes Genesis, he says at the end of verse 14 in Genesis 22, that that place is called the same thing. It shall be provided, future tense. So this is pointing to Christ. But let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. And the writer of Hebrews tells us what Abraham was thinking. Look at verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11. He knew that if he killed Isaac, God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's the only way that God was going to do this. You see, Abraham knew that Isaac was the promised child. And if God was going to call him to sacrifice Isaac, the only thing that God can do in Abraham's mind, was raised Isaac from the dead. And the writer of Hebrews says that figuratively that's what God did. Do you see how Abraham believed that God was going to keep his promise? He was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he knew what God was going to do, or he thought he knew what God was going to do. But God stopped him. He provided a temporary sacrifice, which was a ram. And many years later, he provided the permanent sacrifice which is Jesus Christ. Abraham believed that God was a promise keeper. God made a promise to Abraham. Isaac was the promised son, and God is a promise keeper. So he is willing to obey God. He didn't try to rescue God. He was willing to sacrifice his son because he knew that God was going to raise him from the dead. Now you might think, that's great faith. Well, actually it's not. He simply believed that God was going to keep his promise through Isaac. That's it. Now, perhaps the great faith in this is the fact that he didn't try to talk God out of this, and he went through with it nonetheless, and God stopped him. But he knew that God made a promise, and he knew that God was a promise keeper. That's why he could do that. Now, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. That at the end of Joseph's life, he gave his family directions concerning his bones. So, if you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers— He was sent down to Egypt, and over time came the second most powerful man in Egypt. And during a famine, his family was rescued. You can read this story in Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis 50. Now look at what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. He tells his family that God is going to bring them out of Egypt and take them to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, they're still in Egypt at this time. Now, this is before the Exodus. This is about 400 years before the Exodus out of Egypt. But Joseph believes that God is a promise keeper and that he is going to take them to the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what does he tell them? Take his bones there. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 is talking about. Joseph believed God made a promise and he believed that God was going to keep his promise. Now let's jump down to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. And this is referring to Rahab, who we see in the book of Joshua. God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they've been wandering in the wilderness for some time. And they wandered in the wilderness because of their own sin. 
but now they're about ready to enter the promised land. So they're on the east side of the Jordan, and just on the west side of the Jordan is a place called Jericho. Now, God had given the people of Israel many victories in this time up to this point, and word was getting out of what God was doing. And so a couple spies go into Jericho to scope things out. And look at what happens in Joshua chapter 2. There's a prostitute by the name of Rahab, and she helps those spies, and she, she hides them. And look at what she says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She knows that God had given them the land. Now, there's a couple things to note here about Rahab. She's not an Israelite. She's from Jericho. She's not one of the people who left Egypt. She's a prostitute. Do you see that she's not a saint? And yet, she tells them, I know that God has given you the land. And the people of the land have heard this and they're afraid. But she believes that God is giving them the land and so she's going to help them. And she makes a deal with them that if she helps them, they rescue her and her family. And sure enough, when the time comes and they conquer Jericho, they kill everybody except for Rahab and her family. Now, you may think, this is great faith on Rahab's part. Are you kidding? She just believed that God was going to give them the land. You see how she's working a deal for herself to save herself and her family. I'm not being critical of her of that. Don't misunderstand me. The point is this. She believed God, and her actions prove that she believed that God was giving them the land. That's why she made the deal. And as a side note... Did you know that Rahab is in the line of Christ? And you can see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Now again, as a little side note, think about that for a minute. Do you see that God included sinful people in the line of Christ? Well, of course, sinful people. Everybody except Jesus Christ is sinful. But that's not how we usually think. We think that God only used perfect people. No, Rahab is in the line of Christ. So is Ruth, by the way, who was a Moabite. She was not an Israelite. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho, and she just believed God. That was it. She believed that God was giving them the land, and she wanted to survive, so she helped the spies. That's not great faith. That's simple faith. That's simply believing that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. You see, this is the key in all of this. It's not great faith. It's not perfect obedience. The key in all of this is believing that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And the promise that he made to us is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It doesn't take great faith to believe that to be true. So why is this important? Well, I think, first of all, we tend to elevate Old Testament characters as these really incredible saints. They had something that we don't have. Not blessing-wise, but faith. They had great faith. And I just have this measly faith. No, your faith is the same as theirs. They believed that God was a promise maker and a promise keeper. Second, I think we tend to think that these people were perfect. No, not at all. I told you two occasions where Abraham lied about his wife to save his own life. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah had his issues. They're all sinful. They're just as sinful as you and me. You see, I'm going to encourage you to take your eyes off of the Old Testament characters as if they're the heroes of the faith and shift your view to God. He's the hero. In fact, Jesus Christ is the only hero of the faith. He's the only one who perfectly believed God and obeyed God. 
The rest of us are failures. But glory be to God, by his grace, he has brought us into his family. He's given us the faith that he requires, which is sufficient faith. And then finally, I think this is important so that you see, not only do you not need great faith, but it's simply believing the right thing. It's not using your faith to do amazing things like moving mountains, healing the sick. It's simply believing that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And he will keep his promise in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's my assignment for you. Read Hebrews 11 and look at the faith of these Old Testament characters and look at what they believed. And keep in mind that most of them didn't see the promise fulfilled. But it doesn't mean that God didn't keep his promise. You see, look at verse 1, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and it defines faith. It's the assurance of things that we hope for. It's the conviction that God is going to keep promises even though we can't see them. Abraham didn't have a map. God didn't point out on a map and say, this is the land I'm going to give you. He just said, go to the land I'm telling you to go to. And he did because he had a conviction that God was giving him that land. And then next, I'm going to encourage you to memorize Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 86. And it asks, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And it answers by saying, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation, as he is offered to us in the gospel. You see, faith is simply believing that Jesus is the promised child. He is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Savior. He is the sufficient sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And we rest on him alone for salvation. 